Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now on with Monkey Tennis. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Damn! Monkey tennis. Love this, my foot on his thigh. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. No. Monkey tennis. Radical. Awesome. Mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis. Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis. Edmunds is a total wazzard of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. I said, who the hell is that? <laughs> this is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis. The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. This is the last in our current series, and we're, of course, talking all things stratagem. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Nick Alder. Please welcome a man who needs no introduction, but is entitled to one, Dr. We'll come back to that. Alan Gordon Partridge. And Tom Stab. Big Willy Watch bought it. You can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> just some just some tidbits from Stratagem there. Um, top of the show, an important thing to talk to you about. Uh, I'm sure you're all wondering, where is Tom Dark? Now, uh, the answer to that question, no, he hasn't been called up to play the role of Will in The Inbetweeners musical, um, but he has had a little a little baby Tom Dark of his own in the last few days, which uh, I would say quite unfairly and inconveniently clashed with the Stratagem uh, tour. So he's been unable to uh, participate, but uh, all the best to uh, family Tom. Um, and uh, yes, that's why you won't be hearing from him on this particular episode, but he'll be back in future episodes to uh, talk over everyone. <laughs> <laughs> He'll love that Tom? as well. He'll love that. Yeah, yeah. he loves that joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and before we get into stratagem, we also have some further breaking news. Um, this information dropped literally on the day of us going to see stratagem, which at time of recording was yesterday. Um I was on the train to a meeting when the news broke that Oast House Series 2 was indeed coming. It was confirmed on Twitter by uh, Neil Gibbons and then uh, official posts on the Baby Cow uh, social media channels. So we don't know a huge amount, but what we do know is that the second series of from the Oast House will be coming out on Audible again on uh, the 22nd of September. 
it's obviously what we will be covering next as a podcast. Um, if you go onto the pre-order link um, on Audible, you can see that it is about three, I think it's three hours and 40 minutes long, which is roughly half of what um, the first series of The Oast House was. And I think one of our main criticisms last time that it was just too long. There were too many episodes. So um, I guess uh, they listened to the podcast and have made the executive decision. Like, Guys, they know what they're on about. So they've uh, basically halved the running order. So yeah, very excited for that. I think we were in broad agreement that we really enjoyed uh, Series 1 from the Oast House. So yeah, looking forward to covering that in the autumn. And one final thing to mention is that there will be spoilers aplenty for Stratagem. So if you haven't had the chance to go and see it live... um, you can obviously listen, but uh, there will be spoilers aplenty. And whilst we don't have any insight or information, we did see a tweet um, that suggested that it was being recorded. So whilst we don't know where it will pop up, it's um, plausible that at some point in the future, you will be able to view it, be that on a platform, who knows, maybe on a DVD. Um, but yeah, just a, just a warning that if you haven't seen it, uh, there will certainly be spoilers as we go through it. And also um, just worth mentioning that this is probably a slightly different episode uh, to, to a normal uh, Monkey Tennis um, episode, uh, purely because this is more of a reaction. We didn't sit there, as you might have expected, meticulously taking notes throughout the live show. We just sat back, enjoyed it and took notes in our brain. So you'll be getting a very much live reaction. So the quality it will be uh, a bit like stratagem. Maybe it'll be up and down. Oh, bit of a spoiler there. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it pans out. Um, but just to say, this is more of a reaction than a deep dive. Uh, yes, and as Nick says, if it does appear on a streaming platform and we get the opportunity to uh, to look into it in more forensic detail, then perhaps you can expect a follow-up Stratagem 2 episode in the future, uh, rounding up all the tidbits that we miss today. Um, so, before we get into the content of the show, I think we should just sort of scene set a little bit about the uh, the run-up. We've obviously mentioned on previous episodes that, um, that Coogan have been doing a lot of promo. I think since we last spoke to you, that has only ramped up to the point where it's impossible to keep track of it. I think initially I was sort of getting notifications of oh Steve's going to be on this show in like three days time and we'd be we'd be careful to tune in by the time the stratagem tour was underway I was turning on radio stations and he was just there everywhere I turned (laughs) Radio 4, Six Music, The Guardian um I guess one notable bit of promo that's quite interesting is um uh, Alan was interv- Alan was interviewing Steve uh, for a piece in the Guardian, which was was I th- it looks like it was written by the Gibbons brothers, but also with the help of a, a journalist from the Guardian too. Um, so that was quite good fun because it's it's a good opportunity for them to. But it seemed like they're basically making fun of a lot of Steve's beliefs through the guise of being interviewed by Alan. Uh, so I, I, I advise you to look that one up. We'll probably put a link to that on the socials. We already have. Um, oh, there we go. There we go. We're so good. Um, <laughs> The other thing I think we should touch on briefly is uh, ticket sales. Uh, we mentioned on previous episodes that you know it's unlikely that Steve would choose to go and do all of this media if there wasn't a necessity to sell tickets, if, if the tour sales were perhaps a bit sluggish. Um, when we've gone in to look at sort of booking websites in the run-up to the tour, there were plenty of tickets still available. Um, and uh, there were obviously a couple of shows postponed in the run as well, the second Cardiff show and the Bournemouth show, uh, officially with laryngitis. And whilst I wouldn't like to cast aspersions, um, Steve does admit in his autobiography uh, on previous tours to uh, basically claiming illness to postpone. So I think it's possible that there was more to those postponements than than laryngitis. Um, The O2 show that we went to last night was obviously the first of three. Um, It felt fairly busy, didn't it? But there were still some banks of, of empty seats. And we have also seen... Uh, there are kind of specific websites that uh, that will sell tickets at a discount on the quiet, and we have seen tickets for this show appear on those websites. So definitely, it, it, it's been a bit of a hard slog, I think, getting getting these shows filled. Well, what I would say to that is, visually, what we could see on the night that we attended, and we went to the first night in London, so when tickets were first released, we, we, we did buy them fairly quickly. Mm. Um and I think it's fair to say that that show that we saw was actually pretty well attended. It's, it wasn't sold out. There was definitely empty seats, but it, it was certainly very busy. But three nights at the O2, I mean, that feels quite punchy for most um, mainstream comedians, unless you're talking like a really kind of top tier, like, I don't know, maybe a Peter Kay who's been away for a long time. But Alan Partridge, as I think we will come on to maybe discuss, um, has been... Uh, fairly a fairly kind of like featured mainstay of you know culture across 2021 and 2022 you know he's had books the the oast house uh two shows on the bbc so i i do wonder if there's an element of 
slight overexposure and three nights at the O2 is just a little bit of a push too far? I would almost kind of say not quite the opposite, but I think if you're a comedian in this day and age and you're booking tours for arenas, the people who are doing that are mainstays of mainstream British entertainment. So you're looking at your Michael McIntyre's, you're looking at your um, uh, uh, John Bishops and people who have had prime time um, mainstream terrestrial television shows for multiple years. And I just, I don't see, and we'll kind of get into the the, the content of the show and, and why we think some of it may may not have worked. But then also you look at something like this, this isn't an Adam, you can probably talk a little bit more on this having worked in the live sector is that the, these shows being booked aren't the Gibbons and, uh, and Steve Coogan's fault. They're the booking agent who goes, there is demand for this. We want to book the arena. Ultimately they agree to it, but obviously they're going to be slightly skewed by here's all these pound signs in front of your face. But it's not necessarily them going, we want to do an arena tour. It's the booking agent coming to them and saying, we think there's demand for this. Let's book X amount of arenas, see how they get on, have one or two on hold and see what happens. I don't know if you have any insight or thoughts on that, Adam. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the, the you know, the agents, the promoters, I don't think they've I don't think they've done a, a, you know, done a terrible job here. I mean, if you look at the total tickets on sale for this tour, I'm pretty sure it's less than the last time that Steve went on tour. Now, obviously, he was doing 200 shows there. He was doing something more like 15 shows here. Mm. Um so there is that difference, but I, I wonder if they, they didn't, maybe there's a, there's a COVID factor at play as well. People are still yep. a little nervous. Yep. I think also because he's not playing 200 dates, he's playing in major cities. It requires people to get up and move their ass. And a lot of people, you know, they like Partridge, but they don't drive all the way to Manchester like Partridge. So maybe that's something to do with it as well. Um, I think also like, you know, Alan is, is still a, is still a huge thing, but I feel like, and although he's on BBC One, I feel like the, the comedy is a bit more nuanced. It's not kind of, you know, it's not big, punchy, slap you in the face arena comedy like you would get, you know, from some of those names you've just mentioned. Um, and I'd also say it's not unique to Partridge, you know, having worked in ticketing, I know that there are people like John Bishop who have had previous arena tours, you know, go on a half price sale and things oh, like okay. that. I think what what's happened here is they put the first show in a bunch of cities on sale. Tickets flew because the you know there's a small well a, a, a fair or well, a sizable partridge hardcore they thought this is great no there's no risk adding more and i think what they might have underestimated or overestimated sorry is the amount of people sort of general public less partridge hardcore that will go and spend 60 quid to see steve coogan in 2022 as partridge um, i think they thought that audience was there and i think they ended up having to kind of push it push that audience to exist if you like um, in terms of the atmosphere on the night, um, I mean, I was the first to arrive at the O2. I think saw a lot of uh, a lot of fandom uh, going on. Lots of people with Linton travel tavern badges. Um, as I came through the ticket gates at North Greenwich Tube Station, somebody was shouting Dan. Um, to which a lot of, some people were turning around confused but quite a lot of people you know got, got the joke immediately um, it's quite telling that all of the reference points that I saw people kind of playing with were all I'm Alan Partridge era um, mm. you know th- there wasn't anyone with a tooth lapel there wasn't anybody kind of you know like referencing anything that I from this time as far as I saw merch wise I think we should need to talk about yeah. the merch oh, a little yeah. bit I mean I was it doesn't I, yeah I mean coming, coming to the O2 as as and there is obviously context and there's a reason for this but having been to the O2 you know several times before I've always been quite taken aback at the way that they have their well one of several merch points outside the entrance so you're usually able to see the the size of the queue um for people kind of um that are are keen to see merch and most of the time it's a sizable queue for people wanting to get in and, and and see the merchandise that that was not the case at Stratagem. Uh, there was a handful of people in a in a very short line waiting to get merchandise, and we were able to have a quick sort of look in and see what the merchandise was like. And I was genuinely shocked at how I just think it lacked any imagination, didn't it? It was really kind of cliched um, sort of phrases on t-shirts, and you know the classic tour date t-shirt, and there was nothing inspiring or interesting that maybe want to part with a lot of cash. 
No. There's a T-shirt with Alan's face on it and back of the net around, written around <laughs> it in a circle. There was a plastic keyring for th- £3, which I mean... I just don't understand the need for that to exist. Make a good key ring that looks interesting uh, and charge more or just don't bother. But mm. it was it was just such a weird little like basic plastic trinket. I don't know. It just th- there's an opportunity there to, to make, you know, to have some comedic fun with the merch. And I think, as we said, you know, it seems strange that that the Gibbons and, and Steve put such a level of detail into the writing of the show that nobody made sure that that was reflected in the kind of quality of the merch on sale. And the thing is, if you have a picture of Alan's face on with back of the net, you can buy that on Etsy for £12 rather than paying 30 quid for it at, or 35 quid or however much it was at, at the O2 Arena. And also the other thing is that, like you said, Nick, the times that you've been to the O2, it's been it pretty, I can guarantee it's been to see bands and there's much more sort of a tribalistic nature around wearing band t-shirts, showing off the, the bands that you like, the music that you like, whereas there's slightly, there's less of that around around comedy definitely but i do think and you know i I don't know the numbers that that would go into their projections all the rest of it it's probably easier cheaper and as profitable to just have a t-shirt that says back of the net as it would be to create something with a bit of imagination and whilst i know this is kind of now going into the archives like a tie and blazer badge combo surely that's some interesting merch that they could have um put on sale but just a t-shirt that that felt incredibly uninspired and also super expensive just just didn't inspire um any kind of purchase i guess there's a reason that most bands start with a plain t-shirt with their logo on it because you know it, there's no barrier to entry for that everybody understands what it is like you know that's that's got mainstream appeal and i guess they've taken that approach to merch here but i do think there's something they could have done that made it very clear it's an alan partridge t-shirt but also it was sort of, it was funny in and of itself. You know, even if it was like a sort of Alan Partridge endorses this t-shirt in a similar way to <laughs> Alan Partridge drives this Kia, you know, yeah. something along those lines. But Immediately, they, you know, just... immediately better. Like that's an immediately <laughs> better t-shirt. So uh, yeah, yeah. Mer- merch was a bit disappointing, but I guess we should get into the meat of the show. Um, <laughs> talking about disappointing. Well, I don't know. Uh, it's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. Um do we want to do we want to stagger this and, and talk talk a little bit about the content from beginning to end or is it better to just sum up the show in a noise or a sound? <laughs> well, I, I just kind of wanted to start by saying it, it's quite surprising. I mean, I think that broadly cards on the table, I thought when this show was good, it was brilliant. And I think there's I think we're going to get into a lot of the reasons as potentially why it, it, it didn't work. But for, for me, there were a couple of things that were immediately stood out. One, the the sound was terrible. Like the way it was just echoing around, it was very difficult to kind of really engage with what was going on on stage because it was so echoey. Um, we were quite central, but quite r- relatively near, the, like sort of behind the seated area, the floor area. Um, but I, I found the sound a bit of um, uh, uh, quite off-putting. And the other thing is that after all this time, after this character's been around for so long and um, uh, this is the third live tour of, that has sort of Partridge in it, that the formula has kind of stayed the same the whole time with very little... The, the sort of content around it has, is different, but the main sort of crux of the Allen section of the sh- previous shows and this show as well have stayed the same for the best part of, well, when was The Man Who Thinks Is It? 90... Far, it's kind of dark. He'd, he'd know that yeah. off the top of his tongue, but, wouldn't he? But it's, 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 it's ninety-eight. But ninety-eight. It, but it, 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 do you mean? Do you mean in the sense that it's kind of it's like a self-help seminar? It's a sort of it's a it's a forward solutions. It's it's, stratagem. it's yeah. It's been stratagem. It's been forward solutions. It's been Lilm, and it's been Abba medley. It's been Kate Bush medley, and now it's eighties power ballads medley. Um, it, the the formula has kind of stayed the same, and I I, I think I was hoping, even though I knew what the sort of rough outline of what this show was based on the title and and the promotional activity around it I was perhaps hoping for something a little bit different and I think Steve just obviously really likes singing and doing those medleys and stuff like that but I don't know if anyone else does uh, yeah, and I, I, I'd add to that in terms of sort of uh, jokes that are somewhat rehashed. 
Um, having a sort of hilarious sponsor, you know, Whiskers was was the previous one. This time, it's uh, Bet Three Six Five and P and O Ferries, which arguably is a better joke, but it's yeah. you know, it's it's a it's a form of joke we've seen from Alan before. There's also the kind of uh, being contractually obliged to to have a sound. So Whiskers, you know, uh, in a previous show came with the cat's meow. This one, when he goes back in time, which I'm sure we'll get into, uh, you know, every time they mention Pentium and Intel, you hear the, the Intel noise. Um, so again, another. It, it felt a shame that there was an opportunity here to think, you know, what would make a 2022 Allen Arena show pop starting from scratch? Whereas it feels like there's some element of, okay, what should the medley be this time? What should the sponsor joke be this time? Um, where it feels like there's an opportunity to, you know, to do away with 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 jokes that have been used before. Yeah, and I <clears throat> I feel like the writing team, obviously, not to do them a disservice, but I think they can write Alan in their sleep now. They know that character better than Steve and they know they know how he works, they know the mechanics of his jokes, and they you know, they know how to write very intelligent Alan. And so I really bought into the idea that this pitch of a kind of a self help uh sort of seminar, whilst clearly it was never it was always gonna be in delivered through an Alan you know, kind of optics of it's chaotic, it's not going to quite work and things are going to go wrong. But I felt like the seminar part of it just was absent for a considerable amount of time. Stratagem was sort of referenced in in the first half and you do get some of that in the second. But there was some, when he was kind of going and, you know, I'm kind of getting into it, but when he's going back in time, I'm kind of like, huh, isn't this a self-help seminar? Like, what? I don't understand why he's throwing a paper aeroplane back in time. <laughs> I think it is a big challenge to write arena level comedy that isn't stand up. This isn't straight stand up. It's effectively kind of uh, a comedy seminar. I don't know. And that is a really tough box to kind of put yourself into because this isn't stand up. And because of that, there needs to be variety. Otherwise, it's just. The say if it was just the stratagem presentation, it would just get very boring very quickly. So there needs to be some variety. There needs to be some things that are different, and unfortunately, that's quite often where momentum was lost. Whether it was the going back in time bit, or whether it was uh, one of the medleys, or one of his songs, or whatever. But um, I think th- the gold of Alan, and the thing that I've come to appreciate the most about Alan, is the intimacy and the nuance of Steve's performance. And it's very difficult to get that across in an, in an arena. You can do it on TV because he's, you know, he's on a screen in front of you. You can do it in audio form because he's literally in your ears. You can do it in a podcast format because it's just kind of his internal monologue. And I think I've come to appreciate that nuance of Steve's performance and of the character way, way more than any of the slapstick stuff of any of the big stuff, which you kind of have to do in an arena because it's on a bigger scale and a bigger audience and people are further away. Yeah, and I, I, I do agree with that. And there's a definite challenge with um, arena comedy. But I kind of felt like uh, on paper they were doing the right things. So there was a big video screen and there were VTs used quite quickly, um, some which I thought were very effective. So I think the iPod kind of commercial, um, you know, breaks that punctuated it were very funny like it's short it's sharp and okay it was the same joke repeated but <laughs> different different kind yeah. of like uh, versions of alan doing things badly that i was great I, like i, I, I like that, that a lot yeah i was good as well did you notice the last one he was naked and his willy flies up in the air yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was cold it was cold um but i slight alarm bells were ringing when they were using that vt to bring in lynn and i thought right this is this is great this is good and I was I was worried quickly when that Lynn section fell flat and was absent of jokes. And apologies, Adam, because you said this last night, so I'll credit you. But the funniest sec- the funniest uh, laugh in that was people seeing Lynn, and that was just a reaction to Lynn. There was there was very few jokes. I mean, her kind of fishing biscuits out of the cupboard. It, it's okay. I but quite I felt liked like it. Those are- it was okay. The close-up, the close-up face was very yeah, good. It, it was okay. It was okay, but. But I felt like those VTs were the right thing to do, but I was disappointed with how they were executed. See, I was I was describing the the Lynn uh, rifling for biscuits bit to uh, to my partner, and I actually found that the description of it was was more interesting and funnier than the execution of it you know when i said oh he's you know he cuts back to lynn she's been looking after his house but he's hidden the camera in, in the biscuit cupboard because he doesn't trust her and then while she's squirreling through the biscuits he's basically narrating it like spring watch you know <laughs> 
that that as a concept sounds funny, but I don't think it was that funny when it actually happened. And I think, I mean, cards on the table. I thought this was a good show and I did enjoy it. I've never really felt that live is Alan's forte. Um, I, I prefer him, as, as Stab says, elsewhere where there's a bit more nuance as possible. But I think the problem for me was I wrote down literally a list of pros and cons about this show. And I found that every con, no, sorry, every pro still had a con attached to it. So there's things like it's really nice to feature Lynn in the show, but it wasn't particularly funny. The dialogue felt a bit stilted. It also felt, I mean, there's lots of bits where Alan is basically interacting with a pre-record and it runs quite fluidly, but it felt like with Lynn, there was a split second where you could tell there was someone backstage, you know, trying to cue things up. Um, and the and Felicity Montague's dialogue as well, it sounded a bit like, okay, can you read this line? Can you read this line? It didn't sound like she was reacting to Alan or having a conversation with him. It sounded like he was saying a line and then she independently was saying a line. It didn't, it didn't really feel... You know, I was I was very aware I was watching you know a constructed piece rather than a conversation between Alan and Lynn. I actually think to 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 give them their dues, I thought the production and I caveat this by completely um, echoing what you'd said, uh, Tom, about the sound quality, which I didn't think was actually that good. Um, so I don't know if that's one flash or two flashes for the sound man, but it was not good. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I thought the kind of Bearing in mind, it's clearly pre-filmed and, and pre-recorded, sorry, um, and Steve is having to interact with these and clearly get his timing cues as as on as he could. Bearing in mind, he was doing that for several parts of the night. Um, you know, when he had the mobile phone, when he was talking to Martin Brennan, uh, obviously to Lynn. I, I actually thought that that was as, as good as it can be when you consider that ultimately we all know that this isn't live. So I, I sort of thought from a production perspective, it was good. It was enjoyable entertaining and you know looked good it just didn't sound great um but the humor and the interaction between lynn between martin between those those pre-recorded segments very rarely felt all that funny and i mean we're going to come on to other people's reactions but there wasn't loads of laughter as well throughout the night and it felt at times lacking yeah i would say i I would only I, I wouldn't I, I would describe the laughter as thunderous on maybe two occasions in, in a in a two hour show. Um, it felt like it was sort of yeah. I think and I think it, with arena comedy you need to unite the room and everybody needs to feel like everyone else is laughing and then it sort of you know it cascades from there. But I think if everyone is kind of a little bit on edge, is it funny? Did I hear it right? Because the sound's not very good. Are people laughing? Then it becomes a bit of a tense atmosphere. Um, one other thing I just wanted to sort of mention as well was we're talking about Martin Brennan and Lynn and, and so on. That do we think there was too much use of the video screen? Do you think it was overused? Uh, I feel like I have to stick up for the Martin Brennan bit. I thought that bit actually worked. I think the 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 fact that there was a disjointedness was kind of the gag because Martin Brennan is a farmer from Ireland and didn't really know how to use technology, like adjusting the screen at the beginning and stuff like that, which is a bit of a tried and tested obvious gag, but it, it was funny. I did like that. I did like that sketch again. I think that them bouncing off each other um, in the same way when they were in the studio together, I like that dynamic. I think it's it, it, that worked for me. But to your point of too much screen, I think, again, it's an arena show, so you kind of have to have a screen there and it has to be doing something otherwise um it's just there for for set dressing and i don't think that would have worked either so i I don't necessarily think that there was an over-reliance on screens i just think the use of the screens could have been better i.e cut out the entire time travel bit <laughs> yeah i think that's fair um yeah I, I think i think you could have reduced the, the the vt pieces by about a third and you still would have had the best of it i think the argument you've got to use that screen for something, why not use it to show Alan, you know, so that more people can see yeah, him and you yeah. get that nuance in his facial expressions and things like that. Um, ah, actually, that's a good point because there were some bits in the show that did get a lot of laughs, which is when he had the kind of camera phone up to his face where you could see um, uh, the, the, his face very, very close up. And it's kind of like that um, Francis Bourgeois kind of like the camera's right in front of his face and it's kind of blown up. And there was a lot of humour yeah. in that. I did like that bit. So yeah, you're right. When you do have that kind of closeness why not show him on the big screen to to get more of that 
I would say one of the bits I did enjoy, I mean, I, I don't think you're alone in defending the Martin Brennan piece. I think that's one of the best bits of VT in the show. Um, I also like the fact that, yeah, it's kind of set up as Martin Brennan is sort of, it, it does, is grappling with technology and doesn't know how to position the camera. But five minutes later, he's running rings around Alan. Once you, once you switch the focus from it being a Zoom conversation to it being, you know, playing traditional Irish music. And I did really enjoy that, that expectation each time you went back to Alan trying to play a tune on this on yeah. this penny whistle and and failing because they did it three times and the, by the by the third time there's a split second before he starts playing and everyone was enjoying that yeah and also I did like the bit where Martin uh, Brennan increasingly invites more and more people to dinner <laughs> oh yeah that was really well written really well written nineteen and I mean and the wife <laughs> and I, I also think that. As much as I felt like the bit with Lynn was a bit stilted and the timing was slightly off and, you know, her delivery felt a little bit a bit odd, um, I think they had redeemed that in the Martin Brennan section because that interplay between Steve as Alan and Steve as Martin, um, that's got to work so well for that, you know, for ratcheting up the number of people coming to dinner to be funny. It has to really, it has to be like not a spare second in that routine. Also, I think to your point, Nick, about, you know, I think it was your point about, you know, people looking around is this funny is this good am i enjoying it sort of thing i think there's there's something to be said that and i don't know maybe we could discuss this later or whether we just discuss it now that if you're going to an arena comedy it's like i say it's quite a mainstream audience were there people there expecting it to be more like i'm alan partridge and the fact that you see people with linton travel tavern badges the fact that you have people shouting out dan People who were saying, we'll get to the feedback later, the people who were disappointed with it are those people who haven't necessarily stayed with Partridge and don't know who Martin Brennan is, who haven't watched this time, haven't watched... I mean, there wasn't really any Oast House references in there, but you're looking at a mainstream comedy audience and have they... Is it the case of like... Is it like a big mainstream band playing an obscure song off their first EP that a majority of the audience don't know or care about? Um, and it, it brings up an interesting point in fairness you know obviously I was saying earlier that a lot of kind of the types of jokes have just been have been recycled from earlier shows this is an area where they they jettisoned something that was a safe bet um, so they could have had more of a sort of chat show setup. you know that would have fitted into Stratagem's sort of remit as much as a time travel piece or a Hamilton song mm. would um but they, they haven't done that. And that's quite interesting, I suppose, because when you look at what they have hung on to and they have kind of recycled, that seems like quite a safe thing that they could have kept. And they and they, they haven't really had a kind of much of a chat show element to this one. Yeah. Although that said, that there is that, that element um, and it, it didn't feel like a particularly strong um, section. I mean... I think it's one of the challenges when you're introduced to characters who you've never met before and are fairly bland in in, in terms of that first chat show kind of conversation that, that we that we kind of get um, with someone that's I think stratagem has helped I think is is the sort of um, conceit of that um, and Alan has this conversation uh, in a kind of chat show setup um, and it it just didn't feel particularly strong I mean there is a moment with a chair. In a uh, in the second <laughs> half, which I thought uh, yeah. was I thought was genuinely brilliant, and it's yeah. those moments. It is really those moments that that kind of jump out. That I think I think show the rest of the the, the show up for what it is. That the good moments are so good, but the rest of it just just doesn't quite land and, and quite connect. So. Yeah. We should explain this bit, shouldn't we? So Alan, effectively, there's a whole bit of misdirection, I think, at the beginning of the second half, um, where he's sort of like, I'm over here. No, I'm mm. over here. That's just a pair of shoes, etc. And then it turns out the reveal is that he's been on stage the entire time disguised as a leather armchair, um, <laughs> which is which is really was really incredible to see. Very funny. Um but but yeah, and also I think it plays with the conventions of arena comedy because I was absolutely taken in by this and I was expecting oh you know the big reveal is going to be that he's you know perhaps stood amongst the crowd yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Coming that's, what I, the thought. that's or, what I thought or something like that um so the fact he was already there as a chair was really great oh, that was one of the genuinely like funny and surprising moments of stratagem hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was, I guess, the overarching theme of the show, the sort of twist, if you like, Um the fact that it basically emerges that Alan has created the whole of Stratagem to prove to someone that he was dating um, who he embarrassed himself in front of by not being able to lift up a woman. Um, <laughs> he's basically created this entire show to culminate in this 80s sort of medley at the end where he seemingly picks up a woman and, and therefore proves to this this former date that he's a real man. But you can it's very clear that you know there's wire work involved and he's not actually lifting her up. And... It feels like this would have been quite a good conceit for the show, but it's it, the, the pacing of it felt really off to me. Um, I mean, f- mainly because she's introduced the, this this date of his in a song in the first half about how she's died, basically. And the song just comes out of nowhere. I mean, again, to Nick's point, what 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 does a time travel piece have to do with stratagem? What does this song have to do with stratagem? Absolutely nothing. And so... It would be a kind of smart callback when you find out that she's not actually dead and the whole show is, is just to impress her and she's, you know, run off with the lighting guy if it didn't seem so bizarre to mention her in the first place. Um, and I think this speaks a bit to some of the the, the the reviews of Stratagem that I've read where they're kind of saying the show has to be a shambles because that's what Alan does. But there are point there are points in Stratagem where it's not really clear if if the bad pacing or the sort of slightly, you know, weird tone is Alan getting it wrong or, or the stratagem itself is just not, you know, doesn't quite work as a show. And I think it's easy to kind of say, Oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's fine for things to go a bit wrong because that's, that's Alan's MO. But I think if you can't tell whether it's supposed to be going wrong or whether in real life, it's actually just not working. It's not very funny. Then I think you've got a real problem. And I think that that is something that comes up a bit during this show. What I, to to that point, what I don't quite understand, and you know, I'm not a writer, but the structure of the show. So let's let's just, you know, I'm not suggesting that new things are written, but I almost think the way that the show was ordered didn't make sense to me. I don't fully understand why stratagem as a concept, as a self help thing, and the kind of the revelation of what it is, i.e. Uh, is it an, an acronym or an initialism it's one of them um why that's revealed so late in in the show i mean that probably doesn't come in until about what close to three quarters of the way through the show that you start to actually understand what strategy actually is uh what it stands for and for alan to start to work through you know the kind of the, the, the process of of what it is so i get that the show has to be chaotic i get that that's alan's mo that makes total sense I just think the order of things really didn't make sense. And there there are some segments which we've already mentioned that I just don't think really make sense in the context of, of the show. But I do just think some basic reordering would have helped to make things a little bit clearer by setting up from the off what you're actually here to see, even if it goes chaotically from there on. I definitely agree. I'd like to have seen if it, if they could make it work the acronym earlier in the show because obviously the humour of this acronym is that you barely get halfway through it. Um, and, and just just to recap for everyone, <laughs> stratagem <laughs> stands for letter by letter: start, turn up, 
ready, atonement, take a look in the mirror, allegory, going solo, eggs, 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 <laughs> and me 2.0, um, which I love. And I do like that it is something that they do in the, in the APU a lot where they sort of, they allude to something hilarious that they never have to fully flesh out. You know, we'll never know what eggs, eggs, eggs involved. <laughs> But, but I mean, you've got to guess that you've got to guess that it's just cooking and eating a lot of eggs, which he used to do for seldom and then did for himself. It's been referenced in the APU before, but you know, um, but yeah, he never gets any any clo- any further than atonement. Take a look in the mirror, does he? Um, no, no. And and you're right. Like uh, that's I don't have a problem with that. That makes sense. That's that is that's what Alan is supposed to do. It's we've 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 known from Lilm and countless other self help videos that you you never get to the 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 end. You never work through these things. But having that set up from the off, I think would have given the show a little bit more structure and a little bit more direction. Because it's fine that it meanders and goes off into other directions. That's to be expected. That makes sense. But when at the interval, you're kind of scratching your head, going. I don't. I still don't really understand what the stratagem element of this is. Um, was just something something of a problem. Um, the the way they rattle through in the second half, you know, it's like okay, here's what stratagem is. Also, the woman's not dead. You know, she's a former <laughs> date. Also, he's trying to lift up a woman to mm. prove a point to her. Also, there's uh, you know a sound a lighting guy that he's communicating with who has actually got the woman that Alan's after. And you know, it feels like they packed too much narrative into the closing 15 minutes so much to the point that I almost wondered if they were rattling through it quickly because the show started 15 minutes late and they had and they had to end on time you know it almost it was it was so compacted I felt like it was almost you know almost a mistake that they that they were rattling through that part of it you know it was maybe less observant people in the audience could even have missed some of that those points it felt it did feel pacey um in the second half which to be honest i kind of liked because i i think the first half dragged slightly but i do think that that was scenes uh like the going back in time which we have mentioned but i just i that slowed things down for me in terms of the pace whereas the second half I, I kind of enjoyed more in terms of content in terms of pacing um, but it did have a bit of a we just got to sort of rattle through this feel to it because it our, our show times didn't feel like they were it felt like they were kind of running behind I mean I'm keen to kind of also talk about some of the other positives that I, I really enjoyed and even though this is a small thing I think the Gibbons are good at doing these little things that um, are quite subtle well I say subtle this isn't overly subtle but basically the sort of uh, ode to seldom uh, during the interval with the kind of the photo montages um, it's just a kind of a nice uh, uh, kind of uh, subtle kind of reminder that you know seldom is still a thing he's still kind of really uh, important to Alan uh, and a nice little memorial for a dog that's obviously uh, as we found out in this time series two sadly sadly passed on and and Alan is still quite attached to him although as someone pointed out on Twitter to one of the Gibbons actually that should have said seldom whatever <laughs> yes. it was to 2000 to 2021 yeah. not 2022 because he died during this time um but yeah. That is brilliant, by the way. Well done, that person. <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. But yeah, I, I I did like that as well. Um, and I also just like the uh, the the image montage of baby seldom. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, pu- not baby seldom, puppy seldom, <laughs> <laughs> seldom dark, and um, <laughs> and uh, and then when he comes back, he just like there's a picture of him sort of like with with his arm out the side of a van or something like that, <laughs> sitting like <laughs> so good. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's not without its little moments and it's, it's, it's kind of charm. I mean, there are other things that, I mean, they don't really sort of beg much scrutiny, but, uh, in the kind of the warm up, sorry, before he came uh, on, there was a sort of a constable, um, sort of landscaped picture, um, which again, not really referenced, but I don't know if that's a bit of a nod to the Oast house where he talks about his love of kind of, uh, you know, scenic, um, painting and, and constable, but, not really clear as to sort of why that's there it's never really referenced again you know the kind of the doctor uh alan gordon partridge again it's funny but you know never referenced again and it's it's fine to have those uh kind of moments i think the gibbons are quite good at putting out there and never really coming back to or, or answering but calling alan a doctor 
I feel like we will hear more about that potentially in the Oast House because it feels too big a thing to say to never revisit. It's just that maybe they felt they did need to cover it in stratagem, but have sort of teed that up nicely for something that we'll hear about in the Oast House series two. Um, another thing that I think Steve has worked into this show, as he has in previous um, Alan shows as well, and, and stand-up shows, is just a bit of a sense of, um, of old-school theatre about the whole thing. So backing dancers being one example of that. When he goes back in time, or for obvious reasons, for comedy reasons, um, the young Alan Partridge is played by a female cast member. Um and the sort of the kind of his interaction with the characters, it feel it's very it is very theatrical. Um, and I wonder if that jars a bit with some of the kind of with, with arena comedy. Whether that's one of the reasons this felt a little bit strange is that there's a, a, always a bit of a sense of cabaret and a vaudeville and a kind of end of the pier entertainment about some aspects of of Coogan's stand up. Um, and I don't know. I'm not, it's not necessarily that it feels whether it feels dated, but it just it feels a little at odds sometimes with the character of Alan. Um, that it's more of a thing that Steve is a fan of than the thing that that Alan would incorporate into his show. Yeah, I think that that's true. And you know, it might be his roots, the comedy he likes, the things that have inspired him. Um, and I kind of want it to work. And there are moments where I think it does work, and I think it has worked previously, but. I do think it felt dated and I do think it was slightly unfortunate that we just reviewed um, The Man Who Thinks He's It and God, the other name has... Uh, Alan Partridge and other less successful characters. Thank you. I think it was somewhat unfortunate that we'd watched those so closely because it really evoked memories of comedy kind of from the late 90s and as we have mentioned over the last couple of weeks, they feel of a time. Not to say they're bad, but they just don't feel particularly 2022 and so watching stratagem and seeing those tropes from 90s shows it felt a little bit dated and not particularly contemporary and I think what the Gibbons have been very good at doing is contemporary you know cutting edge sort of progressive comedy and so it, it fell down slightly for, for that reason for me. So I guess to summarise stratagem before we get on to what, what the critics and what our listeners uh, thought of it um, do you think it broadly worked what percentage of it would you say you enjoyed if you had to boil it down to a you know an out of five uh, star review what would you guys give it uh, i'm happy to go first i think it's i think i've mentioned this before on the podcast it's very easy to go this is brilliant this is brilliant this is brilliant i think it's more interesting for us to kind of dissect these things a little bit deeper than that and i think it does sound as a result of that. It sounds like we we're incredibly down on this show. But as Adam said earlier, he had a really good time watching it, um, and 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 enjoyed it, and I did too. There was, like I said, in at the top of the episode, there was a lot in this that I really really liked and found really really funny. Um, I think there was a lot to like about it and a lot of really good material in there. I think the circumstances surrounding it. Um, the fact that it was in an arena, the fact that the sound wasn't particularly good, the fact that you kind of miss out on that kind of nuance of Steve's performance. Um, and also maybe expecting a little bit more from the writing and, and, and going into it expecting a little bit more um, meant that it does sound that we're down on it. But I, I, I think it's, for me, I had a three out of five evening watching it. The company, one or two out of five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would agree. For, for me, the, the big thing was I, I actually wasn't expecting it to be so similar in terms of a um, show that we'd seen before. And actually it was. And I was genuinely surprised by that. And I'm keen to sort of agree with you, Tom, in as much as it sounds like we're being really down on it and, and we're not. And I think what the Gibbons projects have shown over time is repeat viewing can sometimes reveal things that you can't see immediately yes. so i'm yes. also keen to to revisit this to watch it again because personally and we'll cover this when we get into the oast house i have grown to love the oast house to such a degree that i'm so excited for the oast house series two um because i've listened to it so much and i just think it's it's wonderful but this wasn't what i expected i can't say that it delivered on my expectations it wasn't bad and there were things that i loved about it but ultimately, I was left feeling a little unfulfilled, but I hope that over time, that feeling grows into a slightly more positive one. But I would agree, ultimately, it was three out of five for me. Yeah, um, I think uh, I would throw my lot in with that score as well. I would say it's three out of five too. Um, 
I've never felt that live is Alan's forte. It's not that it's not the medium that I enjoy Alan in the most. I don't think anything in stratagem has really changed my mind, and I think this show has proved that it's possible to to really quite enjoy something, but to also be a bit underwhelmed at the same time. Um, I think you know I, we were obviously there to to enjoy it, but also to review it. I think if I'd gone to all of the sort of childcare travel expense sacrifices to see this show just on its own merits I would have felt like you know there were better uses of my time if I'm honest I think I do wonder and I don't think we'll ever know the answer to this question is how would we have felt watching this in a say Soho theatre or something or a Leicester Square theatre or something that sort of size where there is that level of intimacy where that is that kind of you can see the real nuance of of Steve's performance in terms of facial expressions physical comedy him reacting to the other people obviously it would have to be kind of like a scaled down version with a powerpoint or keynote presentation or whatever but I do wonder if it was scaled down a bit whether we would get a lot more from it from it being in the O2 or in a similar arena around the country I mean you're right we can't know for sure but uh, we're here for no other reason than to speculate wildly so uh, I, I think I think you're right I think I think probably well I can't speak for you guys but I, I can imagine you would add half if not a full star to all of our reviews if we could see this with a bit more nuance and a smaller audience and clearer sound I mean the opening sort of Hamilton number I was getting maybe one in every three sentences because it sounded so muddy I was also a bit distracted because it felt like he he came out speaking in Steve Coogan's voice and it was only after a few minutes that it kind of morphed into Alan's voice um Accent-wise and sort of intonation-wise. Well, I guess um, as as we sort of mentioned at the top of this episode, there there may be an opportunity to review it in in the home, whatever kind of platform that sort of arrives on. But it will be interesting to see um, the things that we've missed and hear it hopefully with much improved sound and the ability to to judge it potentially a little bit more fairly, being able to clearly hear everything because yeah. It, it was not uh, it was not the most audible excuse the pun <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to what, what, what some of the critics uh, thought of it and also you the listener um, if you have seen Stratagem and you've not been in touch with your thoughts then please do get in touch with us thepartridgepod at gmail.com facebook.com slash thepartridgepod twitter at thepartridgepod instagram at monkeytennispod or you can leave us a voice note on the monkey tennis hotline 07923 uh, thanks so much to all of you that have been in touch um, just to briefly touch on the critics I, I, we'll, we'll share some of these links on the social so you can read the reviews in full um, it's a mixed bag as you might expect uh, the guardian gave it four stars basically saying that it was great to spend two hours in in alan's presence in a kind of you know sort of weird whimsical show that that doesn't doesn't prove doesn't give much narrative ground but just is an enjoyable experience uh, the standard gave it three stars daily mail uh, gave it four stars uh, proving that their uh, their opinion of steve and their arts coverage are somewhat separate kept separate from one another um <laughs> the chortle review was was the most scathing uh, gave them two and a half out of five um and I think the, the killer payoff, which I'm sure the reviewer was very happy with himself for, for this one, is uh, they said that it puts the aha into a half-baked concept. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> quite, quite quite mean. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I would go that far. Um, but, uh, yeah, you guys, uh, monkey t- the, the humble Monkey Tennis listener, um, have, have been in touch uh, in, in, a, in a big way in the last few days talking about your experiences of seeing this show around the country. So um, we're now going to uh, to look at what you said and how you felt uh, Stratagem went down. Yeah, so I'm going to um, kick things off and um, I'm going to do that with a message from Ant Shah who says, show of highs and lows. Some parts were ruddy great um, when he was just uh, talking to the audience without any gimmicks. Uh, others dragged out uh, a bit too long uh, the Back to the Future part and seemed to miss the mark. First half, very inconsistent. Second, better. Six on ten. Um, Andrew Porter, slightly more down on Stratagem, he says, have uh, have been the biggest fan of Partridge for 28 years, but this was awful. The whole character and awkwardness of Partridge was missing. This was just Coogan doing lame stand-up in a show that didn't even try to have a sense of direction really poor. Um, that actually mirrors something that one of the critics said, which is kind of the nature of Stratagem is that there's nobody to to cut Alan off he could basically make a gaffe and then just move straight on to the next thing and so you lose a lot of that awkwardness where he's not really in control of, of the situation he's not able to dictate whether or not they just move on from what he's just done uh, yes uh, the next piece of feedback comes from Steg uh, and they say first 20 minutes had me in stitches uh, it struggled in the second half still worth seeing Partridge in action uh, the audacity 180 
says, uh, very good apart from the segment in the second half with the let's get someone from the audience up on stage bit, which was a bit rubbish. Uh, yeah, I've had a message in uh, from Stuart Peskett who says, favourite bit was the relaxation chat, which quickly descended into passive aggressive stuff, then out and out insults. Second half, not as good as the first and can do without the musical numbers. Um and then uh, we've had a message in from Chris Tamble who says started well but lost its way a bit uh, saw it in Nottingham uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, will always be a fan but was a bit disappointed with what I felt was a weak show storyline uh, Ross Appleby saw the show in Leeds and said uh, it was a nice way to include Lynn loved the Irish lookalike segment little off-putting seeing Alan Reed's script off the monitors at the bottom of the stage but enjoyed it 7 on 10 that's interesting. That's obviously uh, Russ included a picture as well. So he he's taken that shot. Looks like maybe four or five rows from the back, uh, from the front. Sorry. So um, could definitely see if Steve was reading off an auto cue. Um, that's interesting. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think if it's going to help the performance and it doesn't impact on it, I don't really have much of an issue. Uh, I don't know. I mean, these chaps feel the same. Yeah, I mean, effectively, it's a two-hour monologue, isn't it? So, uh, with with song and dance numbers as well. So, I'm I'm not entirely surprised that he he needs some prompting. And when you're live on TV, you have cue cards and things like that. And yeah, I don't necessarily have an issue with that. Yeah, I think that's okay. Uh, Craig Hogarth said started really well, but dipped as it went on and leaned too heavily on songs and pre-recorded material. Psychic Simon was also a big miss. Glad I have now seen Alan on stage, but I wasn't shouting, come back and do another song. Harry Garner writes that silhouette, though, a dancer and then him. And the last one flailing around naked. My friends didn't notice, but I was crying. Um, I would I would echo that. And that's again for me where like it, that's where its strengths lie. The things that are subtle that you don't necessarily, you know, you need to kind of keep an eye out for. Um, and some of those uh, sections that, that Harry's referencing, I, th- I thought were genuinely very, very funny. So um, I would definitely agree with that message. Uh, Peter Fletcher uh, writes, far from peak partridge and the second half is better than the first, but I still had a fun time with it. Verdict, seven on 10. Let's make love. Terry Cole got in touch to say, generally thought the first half was fantastic and really funny. The second half was good, but not as good. Uh, Darren Evans said, saw it in Cardiff and enjoyed it. Very strong opening, but the rest of the first half didn't quite hit the same highs. Second half was more consistent. Narrative was typical Gibbons partridge writing, which I like, but can see why some didn't. Uh, next, we move on to Facebook, where we got some messages, including this one from Blair Colton. He said, went on Friday, wouldn't say it contained any material which could be considered classic Partridge, and it felt it catered more towards the mainstream audience of this time. Mm, don't know if I agree with that, but anyway. Um, for me, it it only really had one proper laugh out loud moment, which was the time travel video sequence in the first half. Interesting. Uh, otherwise, I thought some of the parts were unfocused and didn't really seem to go anywhere. It relied quite heavily on video segments. Uh, as nice as it was to see Lynn on screen, it would have worked a bit better if she was there on stage with him. The musical numbers felt like they were a bit shoehorned into the show. Overall, I enjoyed it, had pretty low expectations going in, and I wouldn't say they were exceeded. Uh, and then Harry Ford says, great first half, but lost its way in the second half for me. Felt like the stratagem framing device was a bit pointless, given it basically gets abandoned towards the end. We've had a message in from Davy Byrne, who says, uh, the show seemed forced and lacked the opportunity for improvisation, which made it feel very rigid and ultimately unfunny. Personally, the constant interaction with uh, the pre-recorded sorry, uh, VT made me feel uncomfortable. And then Dave Atherton says, I thought that given the requirements slash restrictions uh, of the arena format, it was mostly very good. Uh, No way it could have uh, all been MMM level. And there were some very clever bits in addition uh, to just good, solid lumps of alum. Few bits didn't land, obviously, and the music bits were so-so. But all in all, 7 on 10, let's make love. Lots of people saying 7 on 10, that seems to be a consistent score throughout. Also interesting that a lot of the feedback is people saying first half better than the second and then equal number of people saying second half better than the first, um, which I found quite quite bizarre. Um, a couple more messages, though. Uh, Robert Dinsey got in touch saying, enjoyed it overall, some good jokes, but the structure was a bit ramshackle. Felt a bit like a first draft, really. A lot of ideas not fully explored. The CCTV bits at his house, the actual stratagem system, and the musical numbers were misses for me. There's some gold in there, but there's also some pretty drab bits. Tom Mason has also written in. He says, the show was so funny. The opening to the second act was my favourite. The audience before the show shouting Dan was brilliant. 
Greg Walker said, thought it was ruddy, bloody brilliant. Plenty of good laughs. Uh, just great to see Coogan up there being the partridge we know and love. Had a feeling the concepts would be dropped pretty quickly, but still thoroughly enjoyed. Think my standout highlight was how Partridge comes out after the interval for the reveal and the sight of him like, and the sight of him like that. Brackets, no spoilers. Something for everyone. Plenty of visual gags with the screens as well as what was being as well as what was being said. An eight on ten at least. Uh, Mikey Hogarth disagrees with Tom Mason. Says way too many bellends heckling at the NEC show. <laughs> at best, this was hilariously shouting down at each other. At worst, it was attempted to join in with the performance and subsequently wrecking it. The show itself, though, top notch. Uh, James Jimmy Aylmore um, says, I took my mum and dad to see it in Brighton and we loved every second of it. That's nice to read, isn't it? Oh, what a lovely, lovely story. What a lovely story. <laughs> uh, Brian Campbell says, as someone who wasn't a fan of this time, I have to say that Alan has definitely bounced back. I loved it. Alan felt like Alan again. It was great to see Lynn. However, had Michael appeared, it would have brought the house down. So that was a slight missed opportunity. Overall, though, nine on ten. Lovely stuff. Uh, and Shona Doherty says, overall, it was good. The most moribund part for me was Alan choosing a member of the audience, uh, in inverted commas, to accompany him on stage in the second half. Clearly an actress and not a very good one at that. Pointless in my opinion. Anyway, I'm off for a read of the Daily Mail on the balcony. Bye. And we've had a message in from Sam Fuller Magic, who writes, we were disappointed. No offence to the actress, but each time she came on, it just wasn't funny. Uh, I was looking around during the audience member and the Irish bit, and in my section, no one was even tittering. Gosh, not even a titter, eh? The second half was pretty crap, <laughs> which I'm sorry to say. Uh, after reading the programme and seeing the BAFTA cameo, our expectations were high. The highlight was seeing an actor uh, with such a level of ease in the character in real life. It was amazing. Also seeing Lynn, the timing to get it right was also awesome. Overall, five. 4.5 out of 10. Um, one thing just to mention is that we've not actually uh, talked about uh, Steve's BAFTA cameo as Alan uh, in this year's TV BAFTA Awards. Um, if you do get the chance to see that or, or look it up online, please do. I think it's among the best uh, three or four minutes of Partridge uh, that I've seen in, in quite a while. Um, so yeah, do, do look that one up. Uh, I did notice earlier today that that um, little speech is uh, available in full on the BAFTA YouTube channel. So just go to BAFTA and search Alan Partridge BAFTA and you'll find it, I'm sure. Uh, Thomas Wright 99 says the second half was much stronger than the first. Not to say that the first half was bad. It was still great. Highlight has to be Alan accidentally flashing his privates during the silhouette dance montage. Classic Pear Tree production values. <laughs> Uh, Paul Rosen says, was at the same show tonight. It was two hours of Partridge Madness. Great fun. Especially like the time travel segment and finally seeing a pedestrianised Norwich City Centre. That was one of the things that got a laugh across the room, I think. Again, because it's an I'm Alan Partridge flashback uh, um, or callback. Uh, Kelly Her UK, I think I've hopefully said that right, says, gotta say guys, we were disappointed. There were some classic Alan bits, but the show in general felt like it didn't have a thread and was all over the place. Uh, the fact it was built loosely on, an Al on Alan losing a love interest was very random and the singing parts felt like it killed the crowd rather than enthralled them. We were expecting a forward solutions type of gig, um, which would have been much, uh, much funnier. But instead, we got a weird half Butlins musical and half randomly thrown together Alan bits. Barry Z Walsh writes, very strong for the most part, but the musical segment before the interval died on its arse. I saw the show in <laughs> Dublin, so the segment with Martin went down well. Overall, it was very enjoyable and would recommend. Uh, and finally, from listener feedback, Righty984 said, in Manchester, really like the nod to Countryside Alliance. Yeah, that, that bit was great. Um, yeah, that was good. The P&O Ferries logo is popping up and buzzing uh, buzzing to have seen Martin Brennan being called Martin McGuinness by Alan. Thought the Pentium <laughs> process a bit was overdone a bit. All in all, really good stuff. Uh, yeah, some very good points in there. Thank you very much to everybody who got in touch with their feedback. I think it does feel like there's a bit of a consensus forming, maybe not against part one of the show versus part two, but about, about the show overall. Um, so yeah, yeah, oh, really good to hear hear what everybody thought. So that's our uh, our snap decision on Stratagem, along with uh, the critics' views and also the views of you, the Monkey Tennis listener. As ever, you can get in touch with your feedback at thepartridgepod at gmail.com, facebook.com slash thepartridgepod, twitter at thepartridgepod, instagram at monkeytennispod, and you can call the Monkey Tennis hotline and leave a voicemail 0793 600 If you've enjoyed this show, or indeed the whole series of Monkey Tennis, or in fact any of our 150 plus episodes now of uh, Alan Dissection and uh, Diversion, then please do sing us a couple of quid at 
ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis. Uh, we really do appreciate all your contributions and it helps us to keep uh, bringing monkey tennis into the future. Um, also, if you listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please do rate and review us. Um, we really uh, appreciate it and it helps us reach more people. Um, as mentioned at the start of the episode, we will be back in the autumn talking all about From the Oast House Series 2, which is launching on Audible on September the 22nd. Uh, but for now, from all of us at Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, thanks and goodbye. Shake that thing, miss. Can I, can I shake that thing, miss? And I better shake that thing, yeah. Donna, Donna, Jordi and Rebecca. Woman, get busy. Just shake that booty non-stop when the beat drop. Just keep swinging it, get jiggy. Get drunk up, percolate. Anything you want, because it's absolutely if I don't take pity. More want to see you get life on the rhythm of my ride. I'm a lyrics up about electric city. Girl, nobody can do you nothing, because you don't know your destiny. Yo, sexy ladies want war with us You know the car with us, them not war with us You know the club, them want flex with us To get next with us, them not vex with us From the day my bond tag, not my flame Y'all not call my name and it is my fame I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle Aha! Yup, absolutely, yup, 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 absolutely Monkey tennis? Bring, bring There's a new chat in town I had the last laugh Damn! Monkey tennis? Love this, my foot on the spine With a chuckle, with a chuckle No Monkey tennis? Radical, awesome, mega <laughs> Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know Okay Monkey tennis? Edmunds is a total wazzer of a guy Yes, 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 yes and yes It's hotter than the sun They said, who the hell is that? Like, this is great banter yeah. Back of the net Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast The people who've never got it still won't get it Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.